0: Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Awesome, awesome. It's a joy to be here. Uh, the pastor was talking about, if you, dro- you know, you drove about two hours. I said, well, I flew about an hour and 55 minutes. Amen. And when I landed, when we were starting to land in this place, Iowa, I thought, man, I might be going to see the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I thought we were going to slide right on off the dang uh, the, the runway and go right into a building. And I said, how is this thing going to stop? Amen. But, but anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Thank you, Pastor Todd. And the leadership here, and Adam has been great, man, uh, chaperoning me around and picking me up and dealing with me. And so I'm grateful for you. God is doing a unique work here in Iowa and through this 435 network and, and through this church specifically. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a member here, man, lock in. If you're not, uh, lock in at your place of worship. Be rooted, okay? The church is the best thing cooking on this side of heaven. And don't let the culture tell you anything different. The culture, the culture will lie to you. And I'm going to talk about culture here in a little bit, but the, the church is the She moves slow, the bride of Christ. She moves slow, uh, but again, she's the best thing cooking. So tonight what I want to do, uh, I want to talk about just my story. I, I really wasn't planning on going into too much of this, but I want to just read a verse in your hearing. I'll quote probably maybe a few other scriptures, but I want to read a verse to you, Romans 1.16. It's a very familiar passage to many of us. Um, you've heard it, quoted in Lecrae and uh, Reach Records 116, right? Anybody know who Lecrae is? Amen. Okay, good. All right, good. I'm the only black dude here. Amen. I'll make sure. <laughs> Somebody said, no, you're not. All right. right there. All right, good. I didn't see that dude. So you a brother. Come say hi to me. Amen. So but Romans 116. You know what's amazing about this passage is this, is that it's nestled it's nestled in the context of shame. Shame. Now, I will say this being a male, I'm 46 years old. My story, as I begin to unravel it, it's a story about shame. It's a story that if you let the culture give commentary to my story, it's one of shame. I would dress in shame, I would live in shame, I would function in shame. And this text in Romans one sixteen is really the backdrop Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we'll talk about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, Paul, why would you say that? Well, again, the context is one of, you know, well, hey, well, you know, if you're ashamed, if you didn't have family members, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't have kids in that day, there's a lot of shame driving the culture. And so much so, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I know I need Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've been delivered and healed by Jesus. There's actually no shame in knowing Jesus. Isn't it amazing in our culture today that there's, we, 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 we put on the Christian hat and the Christian, the, I'm going to call it drip, amen, I'm going to use some, uh, the Christian drip, right, the, the swag, we put all that on uh, when we're at church on Sunday, but you let, you let Monday roll around roll, roll around. You go to your office students if you're in here you're in high school junior high and everybody's talking about x y and z and then jesus saying rep me rep me and then it's just shame kicks in maybe you're home maybe there's even shame in the home maybe there's shame even in the marriage maybe maybe the enemy has lied to you and said you can't lead you're not worthy you're not who do you think you are and by the way when an enemy we have a real enemy and when he talks he talks His native tongue, Jesus would say this, is lies. But shame, I've been in ministry for about 30 some, and I'm not 30, I'm only 46, but uh, 20 some years. And and every time I deal with guys, they say, man, I just don't feel worthy. I just, I just, pastor, I just don't, I, I don't feel worthy. I just, I feel shame, and I don't know where this comes from. I do know that the enemy is the father of lies. And I wonder in this room today, Many of you, have been held captive by shame. You've been held captive by maybe your own dad not repping Jesus or even dropping a ball in your life. Maybe it was a bad uh, example and you had to pick the ball up and try to figure this Christianity thing out and... And the enemy is throwing darts and, and all type of artillery and weaponry at you and saying, you can't, you, there's a guilt, there's shame. I don't feel worthy. Your wife is looking at you saying, lead, lead. The church is saying, you ought to lead, lead. But inside you're saying, I can't do it. I know the real me and I know there's areas in me that I haven't given over to the Lord. And there's just this overarching shame. Paul says, "For I'm not ashamed of the gospel." No, no, no. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I was once held captive, but now I'm free. I'm not, held, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel that I was once an enemy of God, but now I'm called a son of God. My daughter, some ladies in the back, amen. But, but I'm not ashamed of this. You're looking at a guy, my life is one of just straight God's grace. You know, they say, really, in any generation, and any ethnicity, you can become a statistic very quick. Obviously, choices are always around us. We make so many choices throughout a day. I was born, I didn't have this choice, but I was born into a family of brokenness. My mom was a single mom, and uh, my two sisters, we have... All have different fathers. So that lets you know that it was a pretty broken dynamic. Uh, My mom used to get abused and beat and uh, so much so that her life was on the line and she had to seek help and get away from this guy. That was my sister's dad. My father committed suicide when I was six. Now, mind you, this is something that rattles you because it's so, it's a big question mark. Why would somebody do this? Why? Just why? And many of us, you know, people that have committed suicide, and, and I pray that that's not the lie of the enemy in your heart even now. You're saying, man, I just, I feel so much shame. I don't even want to be around. And here's the lie that this is, this is the lie that enemy uses. But well, life would just be a lot better without me here. We're just saying about it that you're here for God's glory. You're here for a purpose. You're not just taking up air and space. You're not just here by osmosis. You're not just here just to collect a paycheck and and get good grades. Those things are all fine and and have a great career, and retire. Those are all great things, but you're here ultimately to give God glory. My dad snuffs his life out. And here I am, a young guy, six years old in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You start seeing the different states and the trek, if you will. And I'm wondering to myself, man, why would the guy that I'm supposed to emulate pattern my life after take his life? So now what am I, who am I to look up to? And So we up and move. My mom meets a guy. His name is Robert Luckett. We moved to from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we moved to Oakland, California. Now, I'm going to tell you, Oakland, California is a jungle. That's why I like wearing my black. Amen. Amen. Raiders. They're not, I know they're in Vegas now, and they did hire uh, my boy, uh, Coach Pierce. So I'm, I'm happy about that. So, uh, but, but, but Oakland is a jungle. Everybody say jungle. Uh, it's a jungle. It's a concrete jungle. So much so that obviously the, the, the Warriors jumped ship. They just went across the water. Uh, the Raiders went to Vegas. And Oakland A's are like, look, we're getting out of here too. If you think about pro sports in the context of Oakland, California, imagine the streets, the streets is the jungle. So you get this Bunkland farm type family, moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan, small little town, it's booming now a little bit, and we moved to Oakland, California. And I would like to say, man, this is really when my life began. You have a guy with a gaping hole in his heart. Remember, my dad commits suicide, so now I'm trying to pattern my life. There's a lot of shame. So now I get to this place and there's a new chapter, maybe... Here in Oakland, I can, I can hide behind some things. I don't have to deal with all the family drama and the dynamics and the hurts and the hiccups and the stuff in my own life that no one knows. Here's a new chapter. I'm so excited for the new chapter. And so there's some guys in my, na- my neighborhood. I was, I'll tell you about, I was in a gang and all that stuff too, but the rolling hundreds, I wasn't in a gang when I first got there. But there's a whole bunch of guys in the neighborhood, in the community, a whole bunch, of, about nine of us in total. We, would, we were poor. Ah, we wasn't poor, we were poor. So we can't even afford the O and the R. We were straight Po, you feel me? And so we would every now and then we love sports, so we'll play flag football on the streets, y'all see us. But we didn't have flags, you know, we, we were a pole. And so we would, everybody would go inside, get their little socks. Some people had church socks. Some people had mismatched socks and uh, tube socks. I remember the tube socks. And people had all types of socks. They would just tuck them in our shirts and tuck them in our pants. And we'd be in the street. You got parked cars. Dudes just trying to run and catch the ball, run into the parked car. I mean, it was crazy. It was a jungle. Here it is. All these boys, nine of us in total, trying to live life to its fullest and to the best that we know of. While we're in Oakland playing football, we'll see drive-by shootings. pa 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 pa, Hit the ground, boys. We'll see a lady get kicked out her front door by a guy that claims to love her. I'm just telling you the real plight of my story. I was, I was asked to share my story, and this is it. And you will see drugs and uh, narcotics and you name it. And so as a group of nine playing football, the innocence and the purity of what it meant to be in the city and try to remain safe, we would actually tell ourselves, we're going to make a difference in the culture. But even in the midst of saying, we're going to make a difference, and many of you in this room, you came to this conference so that you can make a difference for the kingdom. But here it is, we were all like, hey, we're going to make a difference, but still there was shame in my heart. See, shame has a way of putting a ball and chain on you. You can actually say, I'm going to rep Jesus. I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to flip Iowa, Des Moines, upside down for the kingdom. But then shame is still there. I'm going to go back and lead my wife like Christ loves the church, as the Lord proclaimed that I ought to, like he says in the text. But guess what? Shame. I'm going to stop looking at stuff that I should not be looking at. I know the stuff that grieves God's heart will never fill man's heart. So then therefore, this ball and chain remains. So here we are, we, we're gonna make a difference. And so as time progressed, guess what? It was your boy Marcus Hayes selling drugs. It was me robbing people. And so my mom, uh, in 1990, my oldest sister went off to play, uh, Went well, not to play, but she went off to Fresno State University and her first semester there, Central California, if you're not getting your bearings together here on the state of California. Um, her first semester she gave, she surrendered her life to Jesus. Fresno State, complete 180. And she was kind of like, you know, older child. How many of y'all the, the the firstborn in here? Anybody the firstborn? Don't be ashamed of it because y'all were ashamed of it growing up, amen. Y'all were like, <laughs> y'all be uh, sabotaging your siblings. I know, I know how it goes, but how many of y'all, be, be bold with it, how many of y'all the firstborn? Right? Y'all used to get away with a whole bunch of stuff, right? So, somebody said no. So, but here it is. My older sister, she kind of got away with whatever. She's kind of like the, the angel of the family. But she goes off still, quote, unquote, an angel, but she still was born in, a sin, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so, she gives her heart to Jesus. My mom going, man, look, this summer in 1990, you're getting in a lot of trouble, young man. In school, you're getting suspended. Uh, and this is just a shame, this, 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 this gaping hole inside of me. I hadn't dealt with my father's death, and so I was really quick to fight. I was really quick to just pounce on somebody. You say, the mama jokes and the dad jokes back in the day, uh, you know, your mama. and be like, what? It just pop, 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 well on you. I'm just telling you my story. So she goes, you're getting in too much trouble. If you stay here this summer, you're going to wind up dead or incarcerated. Obviously, I'm living right now, speaking before you, but the other one, I did journey and experienced. So that summer, she I love shoes, OK? And so she said, hey, look, I'm, I'm, let's get some shoes. I'm like, I want to go to Fresno. I want to go to them church people. I don't care. Angie's my older sister. I don't want to go with Angie. She went to church as a coat. I don't want to go there. And you know, blah, 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 blah. So mom's go, OK, let's get some shoes. Let's get some, some shoes, right? And so uh, she, we get in the car, and two and a half hours later, hey, amen, <laughs> <Some>, a <laughs> long way to get them shoes. And so we, she, we pull into Fresno. A Buick Skylark, old school. And uh, we get out, and I'm just—I'm mad, I'm frustrated, shame, anger. Y'all see me? I just—you lied to me. And I'm stuck here all summer. She packed my clothes for me too, cold too. I didn't even know they're in the trunk. And so we get there, and I begin to watch my sister's life. Angie, I begin to watch her, and I begin to notice that there were some things in her that I didn't have. And this is quick. And by the way, let me just tell you this. The fruit of the Spirit is real. The fruit of the Spirit is real. It's so real that I don't know the last time you checked, but a fruit doesn't bear fruit for its own self. Have you ever seen a tree here in a farm country here in Iowa that, that it, it bears its own fruit, but then it plucks its own fruit? You see, a, a, a tree bears fruit for other people. When I begin to watch my sister, I'm like, man, this love, oh man, it's like, it's a real, it's, it's unconditional. This is different. I, I was going to pluck some of that joy. They were just laughing. I'm like, you Christian, y'all must be smoking weed or something. <laughs> something is off. It's joyful. It's like a, ah, just not connected to circumstances. It's something from within. And so I was watching this going, man, this is different. And, and they started rubbing off on me. And so, love, joy, peace, patience, you you run down a whole line. And that summer, I surrendered my heart to Jesus. Now, mind you, I remember 19—it was July, and the pastor was preaching, and he's dealing with Hebrews. The day the Lord um, harden not your heart to you hear the voice of the Lord. Don't harden your heart. And I remember Pastor Davis just preaching it, and it was as if he was preaching just to me in the congregation. It was you know Baptist Church in Fresno, a lot of people there, and and I remember a little dude, 13. I got up and surrendered my heart to Jesus. I was weeping. Now I'm not a big crier. Now I'm not the guy to be watching like, like movies, lifetime movies with my wife and I'm like weeping with my wife, you know what I mean? Some of y'all be watching them lifetime movies. You probably need to get saved again, amen. So, but anyway, Hallmark movies, man, that's from the devil. So anyway, so I remember I'm not a big crier, but man, I wept, fellas. I mean, it was uncontrollable. And I sense what Paul is saying in Romans 6. For I'm not ashamed that this great God left the confines of heaven. Kenosis, he empties himself, and he didn't pull the God card, but was born of a virgin. Now, mind you, we just celebrated this about a month ago. I mean, he lived this, he wrapped himself in sarks and it's the Greek word for flesh. He he, wrapped, he housed himself to look like you and I. Now, the issue wasn't with God. The issue was with us. In that, we were the ones in the garden, Adam and Eve, we were the ones who turned and disobeyed God's word, and then we forsook, if you will, this perfect union with him. Well, maybe God is holding out on us. And listen to the lies of the enemy twisting the scripture, for surely the day you eat of this, you will not die and the Lord had already given Adam the command. And so what do they do? Y'all know the rest of the story. Adam being passive. And some of you guys in the room, the enemy is lying to you even saying, yeah, you're passive. Just keep, passivity is your vice. That's your ball and chain. And so shame is connected. So they bit of the tree, knowledge of good and evil, sin it into the picture. What happened when sin it into the picture? Let me just share, share this with you. Spiritual death, physical death, Emotional death? You say, well, emotional death. Well, the garden was perfect. And then in Genesis chapter three, I don't have time to go there, but in Genesis chapter three, the Bible says that the Lord came walking in the cool of the day looking for Adam. Adam, Adam twice. Now it wasn't as if God was playing some divine majestic game of hind go seek. God knew exactly where Adam was at. But he called Adam why? Because he gave Adam the command in the first place. But what's interesting is that Adam then reverts, shame is now entered into the picture. He reverts now. they were shameful and hiding and all this other stuff. And, and then he says, "Well, I was fearful. Well, how, why are you? Fear? Why are you fearful? Where'd that come from? Emotional death. Fear entered into the vocabulary of mankind when it wasn't there before. Now there's emotional death. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know it to be true. Can we keep it real here for a day and a half? Fear quite frequently finds your address. Shame finds your address. Guilt finds your address. It's all a result from Genesis 3. Emotional death. Relational death. Uh Uh-oh. That's why there's strife, injustice. That's why we have these things. What about if you're married in a room? You don't have to be, you don't have to be married for 40 years, but you know, man, in marriage, man, I, I tell this to people when I'm doing marriage counseling and when we, my wife be like, you need to stop saying that. I say, marriage is about death. Amen. <laughs> it's about death. That's the only way it's going to work. And to be healthy biblically if you die to yourself. Some of y'all need to write that down. Chew on that later. Amen. Come on. <laughs> You don't go home and bam, I got it. Marriage is about death. Pow. Right. So anyway, so here it is. Uh, so, but, but relational death and the Lord tells Eve that there's going to be strife and all her offspring. And, and then, then the, the enemy is going to have war and there's going to be, there's just this relational and you shall um, uh, love like desire your husband. And that word desire is the same Hebrew term that'll be used in Genesis 4. When the Lord tells Cain, hey, look, sin desires to take you out. So, whoa, I thought that text was talking about desiring sexually. No, desiring in the sense of now what has happened in the midst of relationships. There's a dynamic that takes place after the fall. Y'all must hear me say this. After the fall, relationships now have tension. Economical death. From the ground you shall toil, from the sweat of thy brow. They were working before. He told them to keep it, cultivate it, keep it. But then now, after the fall, it's going to be even more laborious. You know, th- this was, I gave my life to Christ and I knew I was changed, but I had to go back to Oakland. And it's almost like the prodigal son. And I think this setting right here could be like that. Help me, Holy Spirit. Let me just keep it real and and go back to the hotel room and get some rest. Amen. The prodigal son thought that he can change his environment without changing, without his heart being changed. So he thought, man, give me my inheritance. Let me go to a distant country. The Bible says he'd go to this place that Jews would not go. He's fellowshipping and doing all this stuff and to the point of uh, enlisted himself for work, and then even to being with the pigs. And mind you, I, I figured out that um, per uh, my man, Adam, that this is like the pig capital. Amen, right? Thank you all for helping the black man eat bacon. Amen. So here it is. <laughs> but so he enlisted himself, even eating with the swines, something that was detestable, guys, in Jewish culture. So he thought, maybe let me change my location and everything would be fine. Let me get a little bit more stuff and then maybe things will be fine. But the actuality, you can change the location. If your heart hadn't changed, nothing's changed. So my challenge to you, one of the challenges is this. This is very good, this is positive, this is on point. This honors the Lord. But I challenge and encourage you to do this. Lord, I wanna give you this, this two days or day and a half, I wanna give you the backstage passes to my heart. You you can have the backstage passes. Why am I giving you the chase passes? Because you created me. But not only did you create me, you know everything about me. And not only do you know everything about me, that, but you, you, you're pursuing me. So it's not a pursuit to destroy you. It's a pursuit to redeem you. It's a pursuit out of love. It's a pursuit out of grace. It's a pursuit out of mercy. It's a pursuit, a pursuit out of compassion. So the prodigal son thought he could change his environment. And so I thought, man, me too. Uh, I had to go back to Oakland. And so, lo and behold, I get back and and then I get caught up in selling drugs again. But mindful, the guys in the inner city, they've said, Marcus, man, you've changed. Never underestimate the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're different. Okay, well, okay, uh, yeah, but all right, let's roll up the blunt. I try to fit back in. So, long story short, want to be incarcerated, get out. And I, I was in there weeping again. And by the way, you don't weep in jail. That's not something you should do. But I was in my own cell. Called a pod. I was in my pod before I was given an inmate. And you know, this inmate was crazy. He was reading National Geographic uh, magazines all night long, crazy dude with dreads, go teeth. I'm like, man, you need to go to bed. <laughs> reading National Ge- all night long. <laughs> Crazy. But in my pond, I I wept. I said, God, if you get me out of this, I know I was not created for this. There's no way. And all I can remember is Fresno, July of 1990, surrendering my heart, weeping. And I knew that it was my sin that Jesus had died for. He lived for me. He died for me. He put on this flesh. He died a criminal death. I didn't, share, I didn't finish that a little while ago, but he died this criminal death and he rose again on the third day. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was my substitute. He lived the life that I was supposed to live, but he died the death that I was supposed to die. I knew it. And here it is. I'm in this cell. I'm going... Man, Lord, please forgive me. It's a foxhole prayer. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, I won't look at porn again. Let me just delete the history and then I won't do it again. It's a foxhole prayer. Until your heart really changes, the enemy is always going to keep shame on you. Shame has a way of keeping you crippled. Shame has a way of keeping you paralyzed to where you can't take steps forward like God wants you to take steps forward to his glory to experience true freedom maybe it's anger maybe it's just a boatload of doubt maybe it's just really fearful and so here I'm crying out and I saw a pigeon on my outside on the on the ledge of the deal I'm like man you pigeon was more free than I am And lo and behold, I did my little time. Sheriff comes, marks the judge's order for your OR. That's your order release time served. I remember a guy that was in there too. He looked at me and said, young man, you ain't supposed to be in here. He had two life sentences. Found his wife cheating and then went to a bar and found her and the guy that she was cheating with and shot them both in the back of the head. Why am I sharing this? Because guys, we live in a real world here. I know you're in Iowa and the snow is nice and it's a great little place to be, but it's a real world. He looks at me and go, hey, young brother, you don't need to be in here. Why would he say that? Could it have be been that he saw the Lord? Maybe he's saying, this is not a place for this young guy. You have a future, young man. When you get out of here, go do something with it. Get out. And then I just go through a series of things and I had to get out of the city, and I would already, again, surrendered my heart, and I was trying to get in church. I was trying to, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I'm going to hit different crowds tonight. I was one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Still had a little bit of shame, and realizing that the Lord had delivered me from shame and guilt, but, you know, it's just, it, the enemy lies. And I, you know, one foot, okay, I'm going to get a job, do good, and I'm going to go to Bible study and kind of be at church, and then when I leave, I can still kind of play myself and do, do self. But God said, Man, Marcus, I have something way more for you, son. The company I was working at goes out of business. Y'all remember Montgomery Wards? Remember Wars? Amen. Y'all remember Monkey Wards? Y'all remember Monkey Wards, right? I used to work in appliances. Mm. Being an ex-drug dealer selling dope, I, would ha- I could get people to buy a warranty on dust. Amen. <laughs> I was a hustler. You feel me? And so here it is. Goes out of business. I thought everything. Have you ever been in a place where you thought, okay, now I'm on track. Then the curveball, the curveball hit. And I was like, man, okay, well, man, gosh. And then I heard about a place in Kansas. It was a it's called Morningstar Ranch. It was a, was a, a place for young men that was connected to the local church in their environment and context, not connected to the court system. None of that, but had given their life to Christ, plugged into a local church. But they needed to get away from their environment to focus and be discipled. We talked about this at our table just a little while ago to be systematically disciples. So here it is, a young guy from California. I'm leaving. I'm, I just, I'm crying. There's still this gaping hole, kind of figuring things out. I'm trying to one foot in the world, one foot in the church. My buddy Shane Pruitt, he said this. Man, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to. I just want to live in the middle. Uh, when it comes to Jesus, I want to kind of live just in the middle. There is no middle. Either you're in for Jesus or you're not for Jesus. The Bible is very clear. So I, I was kind of in the middle. I want to be in the middle. And then we going to Kansas, I said, no, Lord, I want to be all in. And I remember all these guys from around the country. It's about 17 of us here. And we were being discipled by pastors and leaders and different deals. And we would host camps and did camp ministry. It was really fun. Great time of my life. I remember it. I was still playing the game there, though. And I remember getting on my knees one day in the middle of all these guys. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know. Sometimes God has to bring you to the edge to bring you to a place where you can say, man, Lord, I'm really I'm really done. I'm just done. And I was here, and I said, I'm done. I'm done playing. I'm done messing around. Lord, I'm, I'm, whatever you have for my life, here it is. You take it. And at that moment, my life completely changed, even at this discipleship school. So then I wound up going off to Chicago to Moody Bible Institute, and, which is great. Got my undergrad. Met my wife, Mandy there in Chicago. And um, served at an inner city church there. And Wanted to partner up with Prestonwood Baptist Church, some other uh, scenarios, connected us. And then after serving with them one particular summer, they called me, Prestonwood called and said, hey, look, we want to hire you as our high school pastor. Mind you, I was at an inner city Chicago church, 120 people soaking wet, giving away turkeys, and then go to a church that's 27,000 people. There was no learning curve. And so we're trying to figure out, my wife and I just got married in 9 we're trying to figure things out, and, and just trying to man, okay, Lord, I'm on track, we got it, here it is. And we served there for four years, had our first child there, and then we moved to North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina, was there for seven years, served there, went in as uh, the next gen pastor, and then um, kind of, I was a campus pastor, I was on the senior team as well, and just some cool little areas, man, that God has opened up doors, and I was on a teaching team at Preston Wood. And so then, again, God confirmed his call of my life. When other people can see, man, Marcus, you have a word in your mouth. When you open up the scripture, something, it, it's kind of unique. I mean, you, God confirming through other people. Let me just challenge you on this. Don't force something that God hadn't called you to. Everything that falls from heaven don't have your name on it. So here it is. I'm, I'm walking in this calling, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now I'm like, okay, here it is. Lord, wherever you take me, may I rep you. Now, singing some of those songs, one of the first ones, actually, we sang, if it, if it Caused Me to be Crucified with You. And I mean, we sing those songs, but guys, do you really realize what you're singing? Do, you, do we really realize what we're singing? Like, to rep Jesus means to die to yourself. To, to rep Jesus and the kingdom of God, it goes completely against the culture. It goes against the grain. It's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's going to cause you to be ridiculed. It's going to cause you to be marginalized, maybe. It's going to cause you to be the laughingstock of the culture. It's going to cause you, and, and by the way, Jesus was, he was all of these. so, man, I got to a place where we felt as if God was calling us. I'm going to share this real quick, and I'm going to land a plane. God was calling us to be a senior pastor. Me and my wife felt the same. Leaders around me felt the same. And my name got put in at a place in Naples, Florida. Some of you guys probably remember the story. I don't know. Got put in, and here it is. We're going, and we're trusting God in this deal. We're trusting God. God, I've been through all this. You've, you've raised me up as your trophy. I, I'm, I'm here for you. I, 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 here I am. And just because things get hard in your life doesn't mean it's not God's will. And so as I'm journeying, my wife and I, my, my, my baby girls, we're journeying through this deal. And, and man, we get there. We're supposed to get a vote. And by the way, when you go for a viewable call, it's really just to affirm and just confirm that you're the person and just get a vote and you're, you're in. Rarely, rarely do you see a guy not get a vote. So why didn't I get the vote? Well, they built a case against me as, a, as actually a, uh, an attorney, a, a, a retired lawyer from New Jersey. Didn't like me, posed me as a threat. He said, well, the last pastor was afraid of me. And I looked at him in one of the lunches. and I said, well, hey, guess what? I'm not afraid of you. It's hard to be, you can't lead people you're afraid of. I wasn't being boasted for it, like raw. It's just like I can't. How am I going to lead you well? And I'm afraid of you. And so, at that moment, he started building a case. And so, when we finally got up and had a town, uh, like a uh, like a big town hall deal, where my wife's on stage, the chair, of the search team, and and so he reads this crazy letter that comes out, saying that I was woke and black militant, and I wanted reparation for KKK and And uh, I mean, like I was Antifa, like I'm the one blowing up buildings. I'm like, man, guys, what are y'all, do y'all even know me? My wife's weeping over here, like bawling. 4,000 people in this congregation watching. People are watching online. But Lord, I give you the backstage passes and this is what I get? This is what I get? Here's the deal. We don't even know what's good for our own selves. God knows what's good. He allowed us to go through this for a specific reason. Clean some stuff out of me, a little bit of idolatry. Marcus, do you want the pastorate or do you want me? Do you want my hand or do you want my face? And so God, in this silly deal, we answer questions as best we can, we laugh and it was an 85% vote that I was supposed to get. Uh, I preached four services. Uh, one Saturday night, um, two Sunday, and then I did a Sunday evening. After the two on Sunday, we went back to the little house they had us in, and the chair of the deacons came in, and then the, um, the, the, the chair of finance, and then the chair of the search team came and knocked on the door. We're all waking up. I'm just exhausted. Our, ty- our family is tired, man. And so they came and said, hey, man, we got, we got some bad news. We're like, okay, we're just walking from a nap. It's kind of like, man, am I, am I dreaming? Todd, it was a weird deal. It's like, man, am I, can you pinch me? Hey, Marcus, we need, to, we need to let you know you didn't get the vote. Huh? And so they had an evening service that Sunday for people that were out of town so they can fly in. You had to be in person to actually vote ballot-wise as a member. So they're allowing people to come back, but they knew it wasn't going to be a big enough crowd to overthrow the vote. And so here it is, I sit Saturday nights, about 300 people in this large auditorium, knowing I didn't get the vote. I preached Mark sixteen. I'm gonna close on this. And so I'm here and preaching, my wife is in the front, she goes, babe, I don't know how you did it. I, I don't I, she, she doesn't do the she said, Babe, you have like you are kinda like a politician a little bit. You just work the crowd. I go, No, I'm not a politician, I'm just trusting Jesus. They can do whatever they want to do. They can't touch my soul, nor yours. It's amazing that Mark 16, this is the text, this is the text, this is the text, this is the text. text. Here it is. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to wrap this up. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. Now, granted, there, Jesus had already died and was buried. There's a lot of commotion in the town, a lot of weeping. It's just... Doubting Thomas' runoff. I mean, there's, people are in dismay. Verse 2 says, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Who are they? Well, the two Marys. They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You know, what's amazing. Mark, being really choppy in his grammar, takes the time to say, After they had already said to each other, Who's going to roll the stone back? Mark takes time and uses the little bit of ink in his partridge paper. He goes, Oh, it was very large. It's amazing. You got to read that and see that and go, Man. But then he goes, And entering the tomb, they saw a man, a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen and he is not here. See the place where he laid. In other words, go in. You got to press in to your, your fears. You got to press in. Go look. He says, but go now. Tell his disciples and Peter that he has gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled and the tomb and with fear and trembling, and they were just, they did what the Angel told him to do. Here's what I want to say. Preached that deal, and I was like, Lord, this is all up to you. My life belongs to you. Can you say that tonight? Truly, God, my life, my life belongs to you. We're preaching through a Heaven series right now at the church. I'm loving it. I mean, it's not about attendance, but people are asking a question, man, where am I going? The Time Magazine has a new post out. I don't know if y'all seen it in your local grocery store, but Right as you check out, Time Magazine even has a special blurb, a a big write-up on heaven. The culture is talking about heaven. Where am I going? And so we're in this series, and we're talking about um, what type of bodies we'll have there. Will babies make it? We're dealing with some hard stuff. Is there interaction The people in heaven, do they really know what's kind of going on down here? That, That old saying, I know my grandma's looking down and she's smiling at me. You know, we hear this stuff and we have these weird, we come up with this weird theology of heaven. We get it from the culture. And so we've been looking at the text from Genesis to Revelation as a church, and we're looking at what does the Bible have to say about heaven? Man, people are flocking. The attendance is up almost 70% kick the new year off. I want to read through the Bible. I want to get on a good diet plan. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better wife. I mean, we have all these resolutions, but, but for some reason, people are like, man, where am I going? When, when, I'm, when this is over, the hyphen, and but when, this, when I'm living in the dash, and my checkout demise date comes about, where am I going to spend eternity? And that's my question for you tonight. All of us are going to go somewhere. Most of us are Christians, and I don't know. Here's what I want to do. You guys, band, come on up. Here's what I want us to think about. Three things I want to throw at you. After hearing my story, is a story of brokenness, shame, guilt, uh, lies, addictions, bondage. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I ashamed of the one who stepped out of heaven, put on flesh, died for me in my place. Think of that, guys, in my place. And mind you, had we been there, we would have been saying, crucify him. Oh, I wouldn't have been like that. I'm religious. I'm I'm from Iowa. I'm good. No, I'm from Texas. Here's the deal. We have been saying, crucify him. Give me the stone. Let me spit on him. Every single one of us would have thought the same thing. Do you see yourself in the midst of the crowd? The one who came to redeem you and save you and free you and to wash your sins away so that you can spend eternity with the father. Jesus says this in John 1 I am the way, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the way. I'm not saying that there's a different way. I'm not even pointing you in a different way. I am the definite article. I'm the only way. And here's the funny thing about this. We live in a culture where no one wants to offend people. And many are out there saying, well, it's is mean to say that, Jesus, there's only one way. There's an exclusive way. No, the real mean thing is this, not saying that this is only, there's only one way at all. And so Jesus says, I'm no way. And if you put your faith and trust in me, the Bible says that you will be saved. So three things. Bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. You say, Marcus, I heard the story. Mine's a little bit different, but it's similar. I've wrestled with a lot of stuff in my life, and I realize that, man, there's, some, there's something off in me. Something's off. Well, it's called the fall. It's called sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned, every single person, and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, we miss God's standard, His holy, righteous standard. We can't work our way there. We can't be in church enough. We can't be part of enough Bible studies. We can't go to enough men's conferences. There's nothing in and of ourselves that can do it. Jesus came to do it for us. For the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, we say, for the wages of sin is death. If you work or have a job, you know what that means. A wage is what you earn. So once we decided in Adam and Eve, we too would have done the same thing. Our wage was death. But not just just death like I'm going to just be in a grave and I have a funeral and everybody gonna get up and say some cool things about me or even maybe lie about me. But it's this reality of what Jesus really came to do to release us from The penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. The one who created you for himself. That's the ultimate penalty. The power of sin is this idea that you're enslaved to sin, as Paul would even talk about in Ephesians chapter 2. Enslaved to it. It's your master. But then when Jesus comes back, what he's going to do is he's going to alleviate the whole presence of sin. So, my question to you tonight, and Jesus is wanting to know the same thing: Have you given him backstage passes of your heart? And do, does your life belong to him? Have you said yes to Jesus? So, I'm going to do one quick thing: I'm going to say this. It's an intimate moment between you and your creator. He you said, I've never done that. I've, I've been around church, I've, I've talked to pastors. I, I've even been around the Bible, I've been a, but I've never truly surrendered my heart. I've never said, yes, here's my life, Jesus. And tonight, Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm here. This is what this whole thing is about, is that you may come into a relationship with me and realize that I sent my son, the father said, I sent my son to die for you in your place. Today, it's because of his grace. Grace is, man, really giving us what we don't deserve. But here it is, I, I'm doing this for you so that you will not spend eternity separated from me. That's a grace move. That's lavish grace. And you have to just put your faith, what's faith? It's trust. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm no longer the Jack Sparrow of my own life. I'm no no longer doing my own thing. I'm no longer driving the ship. I'm no longer, I'm giving up. Here's the reins. Here's the backstage pass. Jesus, I am yours. Here's what I want you to do. Say, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. I realize that you're the Savior, though. I believe that you came, you live, and you died, and you rose again. I believe that you are my substitute on the cross, taking my place. Jesus, tonight, At this men's conference in 2024, I surrender my heart and life to you. Save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Here's what I want you to do. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have you prayed that prayer? Here's what I want you to do. I'm telling you, this is it. This is why we're here. I'm just going to count to three, and I want you to just raise your hand boldly. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed. I've been set free. If you pray that prayer, I want you to raise your hand boldly. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see it. I see it. You prayed that prayer. I see you. I see you. I see you. Here's what I want you to do. If you genuinely, for the first time, you surrendered your heart to Jesus. Tonight was the night you you, you drew the line in the sand. I want you to do one more thing. I'm going to meet you down here. We got the games and stuff out there. It's going to be fun. And the, it's going to be a great evening. But this is why we're here. The Bible says in Luke that if one repents and turn from their sin, that there's a rejoicing before the angels in heaven. So the Bible is declaring that there's a party going on. If you pray that prayer and you raise your hand, I want you to meet the bald head preacher down here on the counter. Three, one, two, three. Come on down. Come on. We're family. Come on, boss. I see you. Come on. There's a good six, seven hands that rose. Come on. Come on. Don't be ashamed, one man blazed the path, I see it. Bless you brother, bless you, bless you man. I'm coming down with you. Come on, come on. Come on, y'all can do better than that. This is not a, this this is, this is what it's about. This is it. This is it, these men are making a bold proclamation I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. So, brothers, Pastor Todd, where you at, man? I want y'all to just make your way right to this, to Pastor Todd. You too, my man? Man, that's what's up, man. Make your way to Pastor Todd. Come on, right this way. He going to do some life with you. Come on, boss. God bless Thank you, man. You. You. And for the rest of us, here it is. Ready for this? They're going to do life with them. They're going to go off. But y'all are not off the hook. Maybe you're still dealing with some addictions and you haven't, you're picking up the stuff that Jesus died for. And the writer in Hebrews will say is as if we're putting them back on the cross. If you think about that, that's sinister. You're saying, pastor, man, I just want to pray. I can't change myself, but I want to surrender my heart afresh. I want to, I want to repent. Let me just say this. Uh, Rededication it's more about you. I oh, don't rededicate my life. It's more about you. Repentance is about God. Repentance is saying, look, I was going this way, but I'm done. I'm turning to you. I'm having a 180. Boom. She's so you're saying, pastor, I need, some, I need somebody to pray with me. This is a men's conference. The days of playing Christianity, the days of playing around, they're over. Hear the change drop tonight. The shame change the guilt changed. Hear them drop this evening and leave them here. And you don't have to pick them up again. So maybe it's addiction, maybe it's, you just need some healing. Maybe it's just man, a purpose, maybe it's meaning in life. Maybe you're just like, look, I'm, just, I'm not worthy. I don't know what it is, but I wanna say this. I'm gonna pray real quick and I want you to raise your hand as well. Bow your hands and close your eyes. Father, thank you for these men and the leadership, and this region and what you're doing through these churches. Thank you that the same gospel that saves us is the same gospel that keeps us. The gospel is good news. And thank you that according to Romans chapter 8, condemnation, there's no more condemnation to those who belong to the Lord, but conviction comes from you. So condemnation for the believer comes from the enemy. But conviction is a good thing from the Spirit of God drawing us back to the Lord to live a life of holiness and righteousness. And so this evening, I wonder, you say, man, I need to leave some stuff at the altar. You may be a young child. You can be a teen. You can be whatever. You said, I I, I need to leave something. Will you pray for me? So Lord, I pray that your Spirit will move in this response here. We'll have some leaders and pastors available to pray. But man, will you leave it to the Lord? Will you give him the backstage passage? You could leave here literally changed forever. So Father, we pray that your spirit would move, that people would move based on what the word declares. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but it's the power of salvation. Salvation means really deliverance. So Lord, please, Deliver your people this evening, in Jesus' name. If you knew, if you know you need deliverance and healing, just slide your hand up, guys. This, it's no shame. Come on, I see you, man. You say, man, I need, I need some, I need to let go of some stuff. You know, altar calls are not always the deal. Here's what I want you to do, fellas. If your hand is high, just make your way right here. We're gonna pray with you too. I just want to pray over you. I just want to pray over you. This is fun. This is what it's all about. The Lord is loving this. This is what the, this is what the Bible is about. This is, what, this is what the church is about. This is what sanctification is about. This is what Jesus, this is why He died. Come on. Come on. Come on, boss. Don't be ashamed. I know I'm black and I'm yelling, but I'm good. I'm from Mississippi. I know what black is. Sort These brothers are saying, I don't know what it is. And here's the good thing, fellas. There's not like a bubble popping over their head telling you what they're struggling with. And I believe right now in this moment, the enemy is lying to you saying, no, don't do it, don't do it. But some of y'all, you need to come up and have somebody pray over you too. Freedom is in the house. Salvation is in the house. Don't, Don't live the life of shame. You don't have to. That's a choice. Your past may explain you, but your past doesn't have to define you. So fellas, Dan Bryson Mike no name Curtis no name Curtis, amen Kevin Mike Gabe Kent man this is what it's all about right here fellas I just want to pray a special prayer over you and then I'm gonna be done and you guys band uh, you guys come on up but Lord we we thank you thank you for scripture thank you for the power of your word thank you for meeting us here this evening Thank you that you never give up on us even when we give up on you. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that Paul, even in the midst of sitting in prison, can say, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you that your word declares that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Thank you, Lord, that we're more than conquerors in you. That in you, Lord, we have new names, a new story, a new script, a new chapter, a new ending. So Lord, tonight, the turning point has happened in these men's life. And I don't know what it is, but you do. Thank you that you meet us in our mess. You're not afraid to roll up your sleeves and meet us. Thank you that you embrace us as we are. You don't tell us to clean ourselves up, nor to look a certain way or put on a a facade. Thank you that the gospel frees us from pretending and performing that we're now sons of yours. We're adopted into your family. We're, we're seen by you. We're called by you. We're embraced by you. Your love saturates us. Your chesed love pursues us every single day. We're free. Free these men this evening. Lord, I pray that their marriages will look different. I pray that their lives will look different if they're not married. I pray that they will be bold, bold men standing on the wall between this world and your kingdom like never before. I pray that they will be uh, just warriors for you. And everywhere they step, Lord, you give them the ground. Lord, that they will be bold, courageous men, not walking in fear, but walking in power. Thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that works in our lives. And we believe that. And we hold on to that truth and that promise. Help us to operate like that. Not like closet Christians living in shame and guilt, but living bold, courageous, free lives in your hands help us to be fit instruments that you can use for your glory and our good and we pray this in jesus name and all god's men said amen Amen. 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 brothers amen god bless y'all